We have enjoyed being asked to share what we've learned about gardening and our new simple lifestyle with a nice group of people, and we hope to be doing more of it. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of December the 1st, 2011. We had a great time on Monday night visiting with the members of the Emerald Mountain Garden Club. And we thought this would be a fun way for us to relay to you some of the information we shared with them. What we're planning to do is just do for you the same presentation that we did for them, uh, including offering you the slides that we used on our PowerPoint. And you'll find those on the show notes page at longleafbreeze.com. Right. And just to, just to give a little background, our friend Marianne Klatt, who was a a colleague of ours in our intern class in the Master Gardener program in Central Alabama last year. Um, she, of course, she, along with the two of us, being graduates now and full-fledged Master Gardeners, uh, she called us and asked if we would be willing to come to the Emerald Mountain Garden Club and share um, some, some tips about organic gardening, as well as uh, they were curious about our lifestyle that we've adopted, the the simplicity of it, and I guess the downsizing and all of that. So um, we did just that, and we hope that um, we certainly enjoyed meeting all of them, and we hope they enjoyed the presentation. And it seems to be moving toward a visit from them to the farm. Yes, we hope that maybe when the warm weather comes and the lodge is finished, that they will be joining us for a tour of the farm as well as uh, perhaps a little lunch. So, so we'll we invite you to you go know. to longleafbreeze.com, find the show notes page for podcast 111, and uh, follow along as we do this little presentation. So let's move right on into okay. it. Okay. Well, the title of the presentation, when you see the slide, Organic Gardening and Simple Living. And the idea is to talk a little bit about how we grow, but also how we live, and we think the two fit in together. We're going to be talking about how what we do is different from conventional. We'll be talking a little bit about why we think it's more challenging. Why we think it's more fun. That's another topic. And we'll talk a little bit about, as we said, the way we live and how we think that works into how we grow. And, and then, then we'll finish with talking a little bit about what's next, what's right. on the horizon for yeah. us. The night that we gave the presentation, we uh, allowed time for uh, questions and answers and obviously we won't be doing that today, but we do hope that you will feel free to contact us Absolutely. in the future if you do have questions. And I think that worked out well. We had a lot of yeah. great questions from yeah, the audience. Yeah, we really did. Well, let's talk first about how organic gardening is different from conventional. And we put the word conventional in quotes. Why do we do that? We do that because we believe that there is nothing conventional about the way that industrial agriculture grows crops. Um, it's bizarre. It's distorted. It has nothing to do with um, the processes of growing. It's all about selling chemicals and selling poisons. We think that what we do is actually conventional. Right. What we do is what your grandparents, what your great-grandparents did. And uh, we think w what we do is what most everybody is soon going to be doing. Yeah. It's um, because... 
as as we've pointed out, um, back, you know, when your grandparents, your great grandparents, or you know, the, even I guess the early 1900s, <clears throat> there weren't these chemicals available to people to uh, for herbicides and pesticides, and um, certainly Monsanto and the whole um, GMO food movement uh, was not even uh, a part on the horizon at all. So um, that was the way that people grew food, and, and we're just simply going back to that. So as a result, we don't use poison. We don't even use organic poisons, usually. We are qualifying that. And I, ha I will admit to having tried neem oil, which we've, is... We've tried two or three things. Yeah, and, and I think the reason that you have gradually gotten away from that is that we just really didn't get that much results from using them. It didn't and help, we figured, yeah. why pay the money for something that's really not going to do much for us? That's right. We also don't use any chemical fertilizer, usually. And we put usually in there for reasons we'll elaborate on later on. But one of our basic principles is we don't make all misstatements. Right. So we're careful to say we, not to say we will never do this or we will always do that. But rather than chemical fertilizers, we do uh, make our own compost here at the farm. And uh, it worked out, it's worked out great in the past because that supplies pretty much the nutrients we need. That along with uh, using cover crops. We're big on cover crops. We're big on keeping the soil mulched and mm -hmm. um, b using good crop rotation practices. Yes, very important. Well, let's talk some now about why organic gardening is more challenging than uh, the alternative, which would be to employ uh, herbicides and pesticides. The first one is bugs, and bugs are a huge issue here in central Alabama. Uh, if you watch organic gardening videos on the internet, a lot of them happen in places where they really don't have the kind of problems with bugs that we do here. But our heat and humidity just make it uh, it's a like haven for them. Yes, and combined with the fact that the winter t temperatures usually do not go low enough to necessarily kill off all the bugs. Yeah. So here's a great example of what bugs can do. This is a squash bug on one of our squash plants. Yeah. And, and I should back up and say, it's not that we think each individual bug survives the winter. It's the life cycle, you know, the, exactly. the larvae and the eggs and just the, the, the way that they are able to burrow down into the soil and survive and come back another year. And you here's know, a picture of an adult squash bug. Isn't he pretty? <laughs> they smell terrible when you squash them, I will say that. Um, we found, we were so infested with squash bugs this past summer that there's a slide where I'm holding the, the underside of a leaf in view with squash bug eggs, those sort of little those copper little brown colored, dots yeah. are squash bug eggs. And uh, they typically do um, lay their eggs in leaf margins on the underside of leaves, but that leaf is not a squash plant. That leaf is on an edamame plant, and you can actually see the little edamame in the background. Which is an indication of just how widespread the infestation yes. was for us this year. They were going to whatever plant was out there in the garden. Yeah. Another problem we have is weeds, and we didn't take a picture of weeds because we figure you know what a weed looks like. Yeah. Um, it's just an ever-present issue for us, and we're constantly having to stay on top of the, the weed population. And, and again, if we were using Roundup or some other herbicide, we wouldn't have nearly so much of a problem. But we do have this, and so we've chosen to 
um, go with physical barriers such Lots of as cardboard yeah. and mulch and right cardboard and, with hay in the aisles and yeah. newspaper and a lot of manual pulling up weeds and cussing. Yeah, that too. We do a lot of cussing. Yeah, yeah. Some things we just choose not to grow. And I guess as a fruit, as the fruit guy, my prototypical example of that is late season peaches. In central Alabama, we've got these wonderful peach orchards that produce these big, fat, juicy uh, late season peaches. And they do it because they spray, I don't know how many times a year, but they're, they are frequent users of poison. And it works for them, but since we're not using poison, we're not able to grow late season peaches and don't try. Right. So, so but we do have, we found that um, what's worked for us is the June gold. They're, they're peaches that bear early in June. They're we small, had, they're yeah. cling seed, but oh, so good. Just delicious. We also have discovered that um, with organic gardening, there's, there's patience required. You got to be patient and just wait for the predators of the pests to come and hopefully destroy them in the future. And it's a waiting game. What you see here, this next slide, is some peas growing in our garden. And we're showing you this because these same peas growing last year were utterly decimated by aphids. We got almost no usable crop from the peas last year. And the reason we think that we have um, we don't have an aphid problem this year is this little guy. This is a ladybug. Or it could and be a lady. That's right. You that's right. It could be a young lady. <laughs> uh, but the ladybugs have discovered our aphids, and we now no longer have an aphid infestation. Yeah. And all that happened to bring them on is we just let them find the aphids. Yeah. I've seen a lot more ladybugs out in the garden this yeah. year. Than I, than I did last year and or any time before. We didn't import ladybugs. We didn't buy any ladybugs. We didn't plant ladybug-friendly crops. We just let them find the aphids, and they did. So um, we've, we've now discovered the virtues of being patient. Yes, we hope that this will continue in the future. And while, while we're on this subject, we probably should talk a little bit about our patience with respect to squash bugs. Here we are, utterly infested with squash bugs. We got no pumpkins this year, for example. Right, they completely destroyed uh, those those later cucurbits that I planted. So our hope, and we're doing some things culturally to limit the exposure to squash bugs. You're planting uh, some of your cucurbits out in the orchard next year right, as a way to. of introducing them in an environment where the squash bugs have not had any experience at all. Planning to plant a trap crop. A little exactly. bit earlier than the target crop. But the main thing we're doing is waiting for the predatory wasps to find the squash bugs. And when they do, we're confident they'll take care of the infestation. And that's another part of that being patient. Yes, we, and we are trying to be patient. We also uh, find that with organic gardening that you get a few more blemishes on your fruit, on your produce. It's not necessarily um, perfect ready for the supermarket, ready for the farmer's market. Even, and in our case, I've seen like on the tomatoes, for example, um, places, holes where a bug got into it or, you know, maybe a, a small, uh, luckily not a tomato hornworm this year, 
partly because of another practice that we can talk about, which is interplanting. And um, we've interplanted tomatoes with marigolds and basil and, yes. have, disc and have much better experience yes. keeping the hornworms Keep, under keeping control. Keeping the hornworms away. But, but even so, we've had blemishes. I don't mind taking my own fruit like that, cut the part off that has the blemish, and it's fine. It's delicious. So we're very accustomed to that. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we learn to live with as organic subsistence farmers. You couldn't take what we do that to and sell it in a grocery right. store. Yeah. Customers wouldn't have anything to do with it. Well, let's shift gears and talk about what's more fun about the way we grow. Because it really is more fun. It really is. And one of the first things is we. there are a lot of things that commercial growers have to worry about that we don't have to worry about. Because we let God handle a lot of our growing work. In the ways that we've talked about, uh, waiting for the right um, type of, well, trying to attract, certainly as much as we can, but waiting for uh, the, the pet predators of pests to come to the garden, to come to find us. And a, a measure of this is simply understanding the role of humility. We get it that we are just little cogs in a great big uh, ecosystem, and, and we try to mimic the way Mother Nature would do it whenever possible. Another thing that's nice about what we do is that we can pick anything growing anywhere here on Longleaf Breeze and eat it right away. That's right. You can um, wander out into the garden, and if you see a cherry tomato or a, a strawberry that looks appealing to you, just feel free to have at it because... We haven't sprayed it with any kind of poison that would hurt you. So um, we've got an example, a slide here, of a salad that I fixed for myself this past um, summer. And I walked out to the garden one day and said, oh, that looks good. And just all I had to do was rinse off those tomatoes. Um, in fact, just that's just if well, they're it's tomatoes dust. Tomatoes and a little bit of lettuce and yes, some summer squash and arugula. Yeah, and good just, stuff. Yeah. yeah, lots of cucumbers, of course. Yes. <laughs> And, and then we have some slides about four more of uh, baskets full of uh, produce that was harvested during the summer. And each slide, each separate one, is a shot of what I harvested in one day from Veg Hill. It was incredible, the, the um, prolific nature of the garden. But again, that was the kind of thing that, you know, it was nice and um, uh, free of any kind of toxins. So you, you're ready for dinner that night. And eat it yeah. that night. Yeah, just rinse so. it off and you're ready to go. The, another nice thing, of course, as a fruit person, is that we can pick any fruit growing here and eat it right away, and that is awfully nice. We haven't had a lot yet. We did have a couple of figs, I know, that we'd wander out and say, oh, there's a ripe fig, and we would just pluck that right off the tree and eat it there. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day we won't go all crazy over one fig. Yeah, yeah these, these trees are very young. We, we hope for more. Here's a picture of the orchard showing uh, Bruce Plum in the foreground and Anna Apple behind it, and then the trellised fruit trees behind it. And um, I, I think most of our podcast listeners are familiar with why I trellis fruit, but the basic idea is I plan to be an old farmer, and I want to be able to grow with two fruit. I want to be able to care for my fruit trees with two feet planted firmly on the ground. So this yes. allows me to do that. It'll minimize the risk of the old farmer falling off the ladder. Exactly. <laughs> this is a muscadine in its very formative stages. Uh, each year we're looking for more and more growth and vitality from the muscadines. And 
looking forward to good things. But that's another example of a fruit that I like to just wander through the orchard and pick and eat right then and there. Yep. And we also have a grandson, and this is a picture we took on Monday before that presentation Monday night, showing Smith walking around. And, um, he likes to be at the farm, and we don't have to worry about his picking something. In fact, he was here earlier in the spring when we had strawberries, and he was interested in having a strawberry on the spot, so we didn't have to fear for his And cherry tomatoes, and uh, yeah. Smith likes to walk through the garden and pick stuff and eat it, and we are utterly comfortable with his doing so because we know it's all healthy and, and fresh and um, won't hurt him at all. And it's cheaper. Why it do you mean it's money. cheaper? Why, well, how do you mean that it's cheaper? Because all those chemicals cost money. Um, chemical fertilizers certainly do. Pesticides, herbicides, um, they, I mean, I haven't really priced them lately because I'm not in the market. <laughs> You're right. We haven't looked at what they cost, but I bet it's a lot. Well, I've, I do um, receive those, uh, my seed catalogs, and every now and then flip to a page where they're advertising uh, chemicals. And it's just something that, um, you know, if you just don't need to use them at all, you're saving that much more money and you can then put it toward buying more seed, which I really enjoy purchasing and garlic and absolutely. All and, that. and our money goes to seed and tools, not to, um, poisons. So it is more fun that way. Well, let's switch gears again and talk a little bit about the way we live. Why don't you tell us a little bit about our prior life in the suburbs? Well, uh, as you have referred to many of our Frequent podcast listeners will know that we lived in a suburb of Birmingham, Alabama, for about almost 30 years, and um, we and before that we lived in other suburban areas. 2,100 square foot house. Yeah, actually bigger than that. It was closer. It was almost 2,400. Oh, and that was also in yeah, addition right. to you're an right. unfinished basement that could have been filled in. So we had lots of space to rattle around. Um, we were accustomed to going to the grocery store and buying our food. We did have a farmer's market nearby where we often purchase food. But the fact of the matter is the only thing we grew were azaleas and impatience. That was a large, that, that in large part due to the fact that it was very shady. We didn't have sun enough to grow vegetables or even most kinds of ornamentals. But the fa we weren't really trying to. We just purchased our food half the time not knowing where it came from to begin with. And in our new life here, we have a tiny home. We live in a 600-square-foot apartment in the pole barn of our farm, and just uh, it's a delightful way to live. We heat with a wood stove, and um, takes about a cord and a quarter uh, to get us through a winter here. Um, and we could get by on less, but we we really don't ever worry about burning wood. We're just, you know, whenever we are the least bit uncomfortable, we stuck up the fire and warm yeah, it up. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and in contrast to our prior suburban life, we are growing our own food here. We do have lots of sun out on Veg Hill, and we are, you know, um, trying to stay connected to the land a little bit. Yeah. When we, we say we heat with a wood stove, but we don't use any air conditioning. We do have a, a nice ceiling fan, um, and we have a stack window here in our little little home, which always exhausts the warmest air in the room. But we don't use air conditioning except when we have company coming. Yeah, I think we just had a few times last summer that we turned on the window mm -hmm. unit in here just to make our company comfortable. Yeah. 
and you know the the summer before that we did turn it on a couple of times for our own comfort mm-hmm. but this last summer we never turned it yeah. on when it wasn't company we so, were, and we were fine yeah we have three principles that we have been using ever since we first began talking about this even before we moved here the first is that we are approaching but will never reach subsistence that is we hope to be spending less money off the farm each year and relying more and more on what we grow here as well as what we trade with neighbors for and that sort of right, thing. Right. And the second principle is that it's got to be fun while we're doing it. And, it, you know, we talked the other night to the group and said that we admitted there were times that it's not always fun. When I'm pulling weeds in the middle of July with the uh, perspiration trickling down my temple. And feel like you just did this a week ago and yeah. where did all these weeds come from? Yeah. That's not fun, but we'd like to think that as we learn from our mistakes, how to improve in the future, that that makes it, that will make it more fun. That, you know, it, it'll be more fun to um, see progress over the years. And our third principle is we don't make all misstatements, meaning we are careful not to say we will always do this or we will never do that. One, because we're not sure. Yeah. And two, because we just want to maintain our flexibility. Yeah. And I, this is as good a point as any to point out that I am married to a woman who has identified hospitality as her spiritual gift. And as a result, if her need to make a guest feel com- comfortable ever indicates we need to do something that normally we wouldn't do, I can assure you we're going to do it. Because <laughs> you're going you're gonna to want your guest to be comfortable. Well, I do hope to do that. That's true. Well, what, what do you think we'll be doing in the future? That's our next topic. What's next? The, well, obviously, the first thing that we're focused on is that 300-pound gorilla just, to, just up the hill from the barn. We are finishing up the lodge where we hope to entertain guests. And here's a shot of the lodge as it now exists. There's still a great deal of work left to be done, but we've made good progress on it. And I will say both inside and out, if you look at the slide and you see all the um, potential for erosion there. We have a lot of clay gravel and washing. Um, this I could almost make a whole advanced master gardener uh, project <laughs> out of um, for uh, landscape design to try to figure out what we're going to do about that. But um, we will figure it out, and so we'll make it a nice place to, to visit. So that's our main project right now. As soon as that is finished, the next item up on the agenda is chickens. We hope to build one or maybe even two chicken tractors and have some laying hens. Right. Not uh, We may have a rooster, but we don't necessarily want to. Okay. I didn't well, know that. Okay. Yeah, but but not because not for meat. These are not meat no, chickens. That would just be no. The, the rooster would be to take care of the hens. Yeah. And to tell us when it's time yeah. to do this and that. I mean, r- roosters are useful on a farm because they alert the hens when there's a problem. You know, they watch yeah. for hawks and they'll yeah. tell the hens when there's a problem and so forth. So, I can see how we might choose to get a rooster. Mm-hmm. That's right. A, well, another uh, project that's on the horizon is uh, the planting of pecan trees. As we look around at the different um, plantings, we have fruit, we have the, the orchard for that, we have veg hill for vegetables, but we, we don't have any nuts growing anywhere other than we do have plenty of hickory nuts, but 
Um, I don't know that that's I don't think anything can, we can do anything uh, with. Yeah, the, we don't. We're not set up, at least so far, to to eat hickory nuts. Right. So, so we we'd like to plant a pecan orchard. Yeah, and by orchard we mean probably six to eight pecan trees circling around Veg Hill. And the reason we want to circle around Veg Hill is, one, to keep them close to where we live, and two, so we can drip irrigate. Right, because we don't want to lose those pecan trees after we uh, plant them. And the last item on our project list is saving seed. We're already beginning to do that. This is a slide of a rattlesnake bean that you allowed to dry up on the vine. Yes, it doesn't. Uh, if you've been to the farmer's market or you grow your own and you've seen a, a fresh rattlesnake bean, you may look at that and go, oh, that looks pretty bad. And the reason that I'm doing that is for best success in um, saving your seed, you want to let the plant, let the fruit dry up completely on the vine and then you pull it and shell it and then you'll see the next slide being um, the rattlesnake beans uh, pods you know in my hand and I put those in an envelope and just put them in a um, nice cool dry place and they're ready to plant next year. And we hope to be doing this to lots more of our crops so that we begin saving seed. Let's talk a little bit about those compost volunteer watermelons. That's oh, yeah. A, I, I think that's a fun. Well, you have to be careful about what uh, you use from last year. In other words, uh, uh, last year we had a problem with compost. Um, well, as you said, volunteers, they're simply, let's say, a watermelon that uh, the seed was left in the compost from the year before. It sprouted, started a whole new plant, and then... Uh, the fruit that's on it may or may not be true to type. And unfortunately, many of those were not. But we found one this summer that was. We um, had a compost volunteer down on the work platform, and I brought it up here expecting it to be white. Yes. We cut into it, and whoa, it was bright, red, juicy, sweet. It was one of the best watermelons I've ever had. So immediately we said, well, let's save these seed, and you have saved those seed, and we hope we have found a longleaf breeze watermelon now. Yes, I saved them. And, and we should probably just... Back up for a moment and explain why we think saving seed can be an important component of organic gardening. It's because, um, again, it's a natural selection process. The, um, the seeds of plants that have survived the pests, the weeds, the, all, climate. Uh, the climate, all of those things, those are the ones that you want to propagate in the future because they're best equipped in a natural, organic way to... Um, produce progeny that will also combat the heat. That the and bugs, ultimately, the more we are able to save seed, the less money we have to spend off the farm for buying more seed. Absolutely, seed is expensive. If you've ever picked up a seed catalog and priced it, priced those seeds, um, you'll understand that that's it is a it's a cost saving measure, but also one designed to hopefully produce better results the following season. And we probably need to bring this to a close because I think we're a little past our 20 minutes. But this is uh, a summary of what we covered with the Emerald Mountain Garden Club. Hope you've enjoyed it, and we will look forward to visiting with you next week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. 
send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log, check in with Lee and Amanda, and talk with other listeners. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.